Good morning, good morning. You know what I thought when I heard that that Raiders of the Lost Ark music? I was thinking of when they went down that chute. It's been so long ago, and I don't know if I ever watched the whole movie, but they went down this chute, and they just went sliding down, and I just kept thinking of that, and they, whatever. Good morning. We're glad that you're here. We're glad for everyone who is watching off-site as well, and we're just glad that you, you're braving it. You know, this is, uh, this is a time where so many people decide that they're gonna go south, because it's time to just do that this time of year, you know, with, with school being out and, and all of that, but we stayed up here where it's nice and warm, right? <laughs> Whatever. Well, today is our second week in our Relics Sermon series. How many know what a relic is? No, it is not what Pastor Ed and Pastor Nate said. I am not, well, maybe I am a relic, I don't know, but by definition, let me tell you this, well, and actually I'm not even my own object lesson this morning, that, I know that that's, that's been rumored as well, that I would be my own object lesson, but uh, I, I want to read to you what, by definition, what a relic is. A relic, by definition, is this, an object having interest by reason of its age or its association with the past, the remaining parts or frag- fragments. Maybe I am my own object lesson. I don't, after I read that, I'm thinking, well, maybe. But I'm going to do something this morning. I'm going to get out of the relic age. I'm going to take... My relic music stand, and you notice there's not a whole lot of those up here, unless I'm up here. I'm going to set it off here to the side, and I'm going to bring up my trusty iPad. And take a look, there's no paper tape to the top of it this time. You also notice I didn't leave that one far away, just in case this doesn't work very well for me. Let's see, on, and we're good to go, all right. So, in the old Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I just mentioned, they were seeking after what? The Lost Ark of the Covenant, and I believe that that's one of the things that Pastor Jeff is going to be sharing on next week. Last week, we were looking at what? The crown of thorns. Well, these are just Wow, kind of mystical. Today, we're going to be looking at the relic. It's called the biblical manuscripts. My question is, what makes these so valuable that people will risk their very lives to go search these out and find them and do whatever? Is it just that they're worth so much money? Is it monetary? Or is it there's some mystical power that they maybe have? Well, what is it? What, what lies in these artifacts, these relics that people just will search like this? I think it's probably a little of both. It's that presumed power that they will find, that, that mystique that goes with it, that they think really comes with these relics. Well, for some that's what it is, but for some it's just sentimental value. And as I was looking for an object lesson in, in the past, I, my mom had an old cedar chest where she kept all of her stuff. And I have that. And I have all of my, my mother and father's things in that cedar chest. Anybody else have a cedar chest? I'm going to look for the relics out there to see. Yeah, the relics have cedar chest in their home. So this is what I found. 
I found this letter. Whoops. That's the one thing you can't do to these. I found this letter. Does this look like an artifact? A relic? This was a letter written in 1937 to my father from a friend of his who was living in Nevada. It goes back and it talks about the all-star game of that year where Dizzy Dean got hit. And most of you in here say, who is Dizzy Dean? You know, it's just, it's very interesting. And he talks about things about the cattle drive that they had from Keystone, Nebraska, Corrupta, Ninzel, which is in, in, by Valentine. That's what's in this. Wow. To me, this is priceless. I start looking at that. And then I also found this. I found a little postcard dated April of, April 23rd of 1942 and it was from my grandmother as she wrote my dad a postcard while he was in the army at that time that's very special and then I also found this old bible which has my mom's name on it and what was interesting it was given to her in February of 1951 by my my grandmother and inside here, it's, it's even been just worn and torn out, but it has such things as how to be saved and, and now is the time of salvation and it has her favorite chapters, uh, that she read, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 12, Colossians chapter 3, some of her favorite verses in here. Wow, to me I looked at this, I thought, what a find. This is a relic. These are things that I could just really really get into well my thought is today today our focus is on the power the power of manuscripts and the question you're probably asking what is a biblical manuscript well a biblical manuscript there we go there's a biblical manuscript. A biblical, biblical manuscript is any handwritten copy of a portion of the text of the Bible. There isn't really much intrigue in these, like when you're looking for the Ark of the Covenant or if you're looking for a thorn from the, you know, from the crown of thorns or anything like this, but there's some, some amazing stories, some amazing facts that you're going to find in here. For example, did you know that parts of the New Testament have been preserved in more manuscripts than in any other, any other ancient work on record? Whether secular, anything. The New Testament, there's more out there than anything in the world. To me, that's amazing. The most famous of the ancient manuscripts to be found are called the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm guessing most of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Am I right? Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were found accidentally by a shepherd boy in a cave in the cliffs near Qumran on the shores of the Dead Sea. Can you imagine what he thought? He was up there looking for a sheep, his, you know, a little lamb that was lost or whatever. He was just kind of looking, and he picked up a rock and there was this cave. Well, right there, this is a picture. When we were in Israel in 1998, I took this picture, and this is cave number four where they found probably 90% of them. Can you go to the next slide? This is a little bigger terrain. Can you imagine it was a 
cave just like this that he was looking for a shoe. And he picked up a rock instead of going in and he threw it in. And guess what happened? He heard something break in there. And there was this pot that had some manuscripts in it. And he took it out and it was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And from 1946 through 47, I guess 46, 47 to 1956, they, they've been looking and finding all of these scrolls. Now, if you go to the next one, this is where, this is the living quarters there in Qumran, just not, not too far away. Actually, probably where I took that picture or something close to that, where some of the caves were. But this is where they actually wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. To me, this was one of the most fascinating parts of our trip to Israel. And if you're going to go to Israel next year, I would encourage you to make sure that you take a look at this. To me, it was just fascinating. See, the majority of the Dead Sea Scrolls are displayed in the Shrine of the Book, which is a part of the Israel Museum located in Jerusalem. And also, if you want to just take a look at any of these things, just go online. They have digital where you can break them down. It's just amazing what you can find there. These scrolls were discovered, like I said, in 1946. And there's about 972 ancient manuscripts, and they're over a thousand years older than any other previously known manuscript out there. They're considered the most significant archaeological find of the 20th century. Now, what did they find there? The books that they found in this, the scrolls that they found, these relics that they found, they found Psalms, they found Deuteronomy, they found in the entire book of Isaiah. The fact is, they, can, they found fragments of every book in the Old Testament with the exception of Esther. And the fact is, I just was reading as I was just studying and doing this, they just found, refound some, I think there were seven or eight that they kind of had stored away in, with all these, some new ones that they just discovered within the, the artifacts that they'd already found, kind of stuck in some far away. I don't know, how can you not find those and just find them now? That's been a long time ago. But they've just found some of those. I guess the thought that crosses my mind when you think about this, it should really humble us and maybe even strengthen our faith when we see how Scripture has been handed down from, from generation to generation, how it's been handed down through, gener- through, through countless hours of writing like they did, writing these, checking their work, making sure it was correct, trying to find out what all these copies, checking for accuracy. Many people today are searching for God They're searching for accuracy. They're searching for all sorts of things. And they search and search, just like the people who searched from cave to cave. There there were several caves. They they found the one, and they went to all sorts of caves trying to find this. And there's thousands of caves up in this area. And they went and dug and dug. But here's the thing. They missed the best. We don't have to search the world to find God. How many know that that's true? You don't have to go to Israel to find God. You don't have to go to right to the original area where you find God. We just look to the real power of the manuscripts. And what is the real power of the manuscripts? Well, here's the deal, folks. All biblical manuscripts for sure are very powerful. Would you agree? They are very powerful. But not because they're relics. But because they're God's very own word because of that they have the power to change lives 
Most of you are here today because the power of God's Word has changed your life. You've allowed it to come in and change you from the inside out. The book of John starts off with saying, The Word was what? God. It's all because God. These words are alive. They're His words. Many people today, though, doubt the validity of the Bible or that there's any power in the Bible. They often say it was written by men and just a book of fairy tales. How many have heard that from someone? Maybe even some friends. It's just, it's just sort of what's out there. Well, I want to tell you a little story that maybe it's kind of interesting. It's, there was a converted cannibal. You know what a cannibal is. You know, you don't want them. That's a cannibal. And he was sitting, sitting by a huge pot, reading his Bible. And this archaeological, archeo, this guy that does archaeology, that kind of guy. He studies rocks and looks at stuff. And that, that, one of those. Archaeologist, there we go. One of those guys came by and said to him, he said, what in the world are you doing reading that? He says, civilized man has proven that that's just a book of, just a pack of lies. You're not going to get anything from reading that. Well, the cannibal stood up, looked the man up and down very slowly, and he said this. He said, sir, if it weren't for this book, you'd be in this pot. Because God's word not only changed my life, it changed my appetite. See, the historical study of biblical manuscripts is important because handwritten copies can contain errors. How many know that you've written something down, tried to copy it down, handwrite, write, and, boy, I'm really doing well. <laughs> something that you're writing out and you don't get it word for word. You get, you miss a word or you make it a, a was a were or whatever the case may be or you leave a word out. Well, this is what they're studying. But these manuscripts have proven that the Bible that we have today is both reliable and it is also accurate. For example, copies of Isaiah written a thousand years earlier than any previous known copies have proven to be word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. Wow, that is incredible. If you really just think about it, that's incredible. The more we discover how authentic these these manuscripts are, the more we realize their power. How many brought your Bibles today or, or a digital Bible? Raise, raise them up. Hold them up. All right, I want you to look at this. Do you know that as powerful as those manuscripts are, they hold no more, no more power than the Bible that you're holding in your hand right now. This is a 1951 Bible. has no more power than a brand new Bible. They're, they're the same. Or one that's a thousand years old. In fact, the second Timothy says this. It says, all scripture, all scripture, whether it's, it's one that was written from the original, that's been copied, that now is on the printing presses, and all of these things, is what? Inspired by who? God. That's what makes it powerful. It's not who writes it, it's who 
is the writer, the, the originator, God. And it is useful for doing what? Teaching? For showing people what is wrong? How many have found that the God's Word has helped you know what's right or wrong in their lives? For correcting faults? How many faults have been changed? And for teaching you how to live right. I can tell you, without God's Word, I'm not going to live right. It just doesn't work that way. And then it says in verse 17, Using the Scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable of having all that is needed to do every good work that is available. Pastor and author Charles Swindoll comments this way. He says, News articles may inform us. Novels may inspire us. Poetry may enrapture us. But only the living, active Word of God can transform us. He transforms us from the inside out, folks. There's nothing like the written Word of God. It shows the truth. It shows us the way to salvation. It exposes all of our rebellion. It corrects our mistakes. It trains us how to live in God's way. The Bible is the only book in the world when you read it, the author shows up. Think about it. Isn't that true? How many when you're reading it's like God's right there? And you start reading and you open it up and you say, wow. You start in the very beginning, in the beginning. And you know that God's there. God's there. He shows up when we turn to this. That's power, folks. That's the power that changes our lives. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's, it's alive. That's what, that's what makes it powerful. That's what makes the author show up because it is alive. This book is not a dead book. It's an alive book. And it's alive and it can touch our alive bodies and changes from the inside out. His spirit touches our spirit and it will change us. It's going to give us hope where we have no hope. It's going to give us strength where we have no strength. These manuscripts may be very old and very brittle. Sort of like this letter that I have. This is 1937. Can you imagine something that's a couple, three thousand years older than this? A hundred years older than this. Wow. I'm not used to my book going off on me. (laughs) So, but it's alive. And they're God's own words. We must never forget that the power always comes from God. Though, whether in a relic or whether it's a brand new Bible. So how do we experience or how do we grab hold of this power today? How does that happen? I think the number one thing, the key thing that we must have is a believing heart. I just, I just know that in Ephesians 1.19 that just, that verse just really stuck out because it says this. It says, and you will know that God's power, whose power? Whose power? God's power is very great for us who do what? Believe. We have to have a believing heart. This word for power is the same root word that they, that is used here is the same root word used in dynamite. 
So let's re-rate, re-read this. It says, and you will know that God's dynamite power is very great for us who believe. He wants to give us that dynamite power. That kind of power that can just transform us. How many remember as you read through, through the, through scripture, you read through the gospels, what do we find? Over and over in the gospels, Jesus' power went out to people who what? What would he say to them? Because you believed. You were healed. Why? You were transformed. Why? Because you believed. That's why. Because we believe. A believing heart there. But the problem is, you know, the problem is so many people think, wow, I don't know if this is really true. I don't know if this is real. But you must believe that God's Word is both alive and that it has the power to change your life. That's the key. Hebrews 3.12 says this, So brothers and sisters, be careful that none of you has an evil an unbelieving heart, an unbelieving heart that will turn away from the living God. See, it's this lack of faith, this unbelievingness, unbelieving heart that's going to really change us. Where's your heart? We need to have a heart that is believing. Nothing diminishes God's power or is going to steal away our hope and peace like an unbelieving heart will. The solution is found in the power of the manuscripts. The power of God's very own word. That's where we're going to find hope. That's where we're going to find the solution. See, you can't stay where you are and experience the power of God's word. There has to be some change. You have to say, whoa, what am I doing? Where am I going? There has, you have to get out. It is sort of like, well, it's, it's sort of like this. How many of you have ever plugged something into the socket? We all have, don't we? I should have brought out my fan. You could have seen the object lesson. Maybe I'll do that second service. Should I do that second service? i got to have another. Nah, I don't need any more object lessons. But we've all taken that plug, and we plug it into that power source, into that socket. Why do we plug it into the socket? Why don't we just turn the fan on or whatever we have on? There's no power. Well, how many can see the power that's behind that socket or where that leads to? How, can you see it? We can't see it, can we? How many of you can see God? Any of you get a, you know, we see pictures of God, but it comes by what? When you plug that plug-in in, what do you do? You do that by faith. You believe that when you plug that in, that you're going to get power. And that's exactly, when you read this word, when we go to God, we need to believe that we're plugging in to the power source. Because we are plugging in to a God who is alive and very powerful and is there to change your, your life. He's there to handle each and every situation you have. Do you need a healing? Do you need a transformation in your life? Do you need, do you need a relationship fixed? What, what's your need? Where are you at? How many know that you don't have the power to fix it yourself? But God has that power and He wants us to plug in to that power source. That is the key. That is the key to where we're at. Joshua 1.8 says this, 
Study this book of instructions. When? Continually. And then do what? Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure and obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. You see where the faith comes in? You have to meditate. Meditating is what? Meditating is thinking seriously about what you're reading. That's really when it talks about meditating. Think seriously about what you read. It's sort of the reverse of worrying. It's what's, you know what worry is? Something that just won't go away and it just continually stays in your mind. Read it and think seriously and wow. And let it just think about it, think about it, think about it. And let it just, just speak deep into your heart. For you or me to have a believing heart, we must read and we must meditate on God's Word, what? Daily, continually. And when you do, you're going to develop that believing heart. That heart, and then you will what? You'll naturally obey. How many struggle with obeying God's Word? This is the answer. When we go and we spend time studying this book of instructions... What's, if we meditated on it day and night, you'll be sure to do what? Obey. That's going to be the natural response. When this book becomes alive in your life, the natural response, the natural thing with this, this live book that comes from the originator, which comes from God, speaks to my heart, the natural thing I'm going to do is then obey what it says. Because I believe that when I plug it into the power source that it's going to be the power that's there. That's really the key. It's really the key. This is how you experience the power of God and His Word in your life. You see, faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? By the Word of God. I want to tell you a story. Many of you probably are aware of this story. You've heard it before. I probably told it from up here before. If not, Connie's told the story. She's told every story that I've ever told up here, I think, at one time or another through the years. But it's the, called the coal basket story. How many have heard the coal basket story? A couple, three? All right. Well, good. It's a new story for some of you. Some of you are going to get into it and say, oh yeah, I've heard that. But this is a story of an old man who lived on a farm in the mountains in eastern Kentucky. And he lived there with his young grandson. And each morning he would get up early and he would read it. I'm guessing he had a Bible that looked probably very much like this old worn out Bible. If you look at this, this has duct tape holding it together. I'm guessing this is probably the way this this old grandfather's Bible looked. And the grand said, just, just, oh, he just loved his grandfather and he wanted to do everything that his grandfather would do. And so he would, he'd get his Bible out and he'd try to read it and he'd try to read it. And finally one day he came to his grandfather and he says, Grandfather, I don't know. I, I try to read, read the Bible like you do, but I can't remember anything and I can't understand anything. What's the use What good does it do in reading it? Well, the grandfather got up, and he walked over to the coal bin, and he picked, out of the coal basket, he picked up the last piece of coal, and he stuck it into the furnace. And and then he said, Son, would you take this coal basket down to the river and fill it with water and bring it back? Well, the grandson looked at him kind of strange. How many know what a coal basket is? It has holes in it, leaks. Well, he took it down, and he brought it back, and guess what? By the time he got back up the mountain, it had leaked out. So he thought, oh, wow, i got to go. So he went back down, filled it up again, ran up the hill, thought, if I run faster, I'll have more in it. 
It was still empty. Well, he kept doing it. Pretty soon he says, Grandfather, I, it just won't. He says, well, you just got to try harder. So he ran back down. Did it again. Try it one more time. And he ran back down. Came and he said, oh, Grandfather, it's just not doing any good. I don't understand. What in the world is wrong? And the grandfather says, Look at the coal basket. What do you see? And for the first time, that young grandson looked at that coal basket and he saw that it wasn't a dirty old coal basket anymore. It was bright clean. And the old man said to him this, that's what happens when you read the Bible. You might not understand it. You might not even remember it. Everything that, that you read in it. But you, but it will change you from the inside out. That's what happens when we read it. How many have read, got done reading your morning devotion or your evening devotion or just whatever and thought, I don't understand it. You go through the day and you don't even remember where you read, much less what you read. Am I the only one that that's ever happened to? Well, that, that happens, isn't it? But if you keep reading it and keep reading it, it starts changing you from the inside out, just like that coal basket. That's the power of God's Word. I want to conclude with this thought. We need the power of the manuscript, don't we? But be very careful, folks. Too often, and I've watched this happen in my 40-some years of being a Christian, and I've probably been in, it's probably, I've probably done this as well. But we often worship the Bible more than the author who inspired the words in the Bible. Do you hear what I'm saying? We dare not confuse a relationship with the scriptures to a relationship with the one to whom they point. God wants each of us, uh, each of us to have that personal relationship with Him. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's why He left this for us. This is His love letter to each one of us. Cause He, God is, is a powerful God, but the thing that is most powerful is He wants to have a relationship. And without that relationship, there is no power. He wants to give us that power, and He's, this book is alive so He could speak to us, so we can have that personal relationship with Him. And when we have that relationship with Him, guess what He does? He gives us a free access to all of His power. That's what it's all about. So my question to each one of you, what's going on in your life right now? I want you just to take a moment. Just think. What's going on in my life right now that I need the power of this Word to speak to it? To change it. Everybody has something, I bet, don't you? I see the nodding of the heads. Monty nodded, but it was like that. But I'm not going to say anything. Because <laughs> I saw Linda do this, so I knew he was good to go. But what's going on in your life? What's happening? God wants to give you His power. Trust that God means what He says. His powerful word is what? It's sharper than any surgeon's scalpel. And it's going to cut through everything. But what I find that our problem is, is so many times 
Oh yeah, we may be been a follower of Jesus for many, many years. We've asked him to come into our heart. But how many have found yourselves living with still a little unbelief? The biggie comes, the big problem, the struggle, and all of a sudden, worry is ruling your life, regrets are ruling your life, and you're really, and it's really what that is called is unbelief. And unbelief is ruling our life. God wants us to believe. He wants that belief to happen. He wants to penetrate any unbelief in your heart today. That's why His Word is alive. That's how it is powerful. It is there to take care of any unbelief and fill your heart and give you a believing heart. See, there's no quick fixes. I'm guessing most of us have found in life that through the struggles that we have, there are no quick fixes. When something bad happens, you just can't go fix it. It's, it's, it's not like sometimes when I've had something not work and I realize, oh, it just wasn't plugged in. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that is what it is. Maybe when things bad are happening and I'm trying to do it myself, the whole problem is, is my plug has come unplugged and I need to plug back in. Does that make sense to you? I think that's maybe where it's at. Let him penetrate you. Let him penetrate your heart. Let's all learn the lesson of the young boy and keep pressing on to God by regularly reading and studying his word today. It will change your life. And that's what God is all about. Life change. He heals to provide a life change because he's more interested in your heart than he is anything else. He wants your heart to be one with his. He wants you to be alive with him. And he wants his power to not only just flow into us, but then out through us. Just like that fan, you turn it on, and then you turn that fan on, and what happens? It touches all those around, and that's really what he wants. That's really our role as Christians. He wants us to plug into his power source so that can flow through by faith into the the fan of our life. Turn on the switch, keep it going, and then just touch all those around us. His power flowing through us changes the world. Let's pray. God... Over and over we realize that it's not about us. It's always all about you. It's about you, our power source. Over and over in my life, God, I find that I struggle with self-reliance. I struggle with things that, wow, just seem to overwhelm me. And I realize that I haven't been plugged into your power source. I forget how alive that your, your, your word is and how it's so alive that it provides the power to change my very life, my very circumstance and that I can trust you with the things that matter the most in my life. God, I ask that you penetrate. Penetrate my heart. Take away any unbelief. And I pray that for everyone in this congregation, everyone who's hearing the sound of my voice today, that they will allow your word to come into their lives with your power to change them, to mold them, to give them a new heart, a new life, to change 
their destination from going to where it is to where you want it to be. To help them to obey. May we learn to continually spend time meditating day and night on your word. May it not just be a part-time thing that we do, but may it be a full-time occupation of reading your word, of getting to know you. Because that's really what our devotion time is to be, is to get to know you better and to allow your power to flow into us and then through us. Set us free from the things that hold us back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.